Hello, this is Edgar Meeks. Once again, um, we're talking about the ministry of the late great evangelist John Lawrence. And I have with me today one of the most important people in the ministry uh, of Bethel Gospel, uh, Bethel Gospel Tabernacle, which would be Bishop Roderick Caesar Jr. Uh, he, of course, is the son of the founder of Bethel Gospel Tabernacle, Bishop Roderick Caesar. And uh, when it comes to John Lawrence, you cannot talk about John Lawrence without talking about Bethel Gospel Tabernacle. And uh, I would like for uh, Bishop Caesar just to share his first uh, memories of John Lawrence and what he meant, uh, what John Lawrence meant to him personally, and of course to the ministry of Bethel Gospel Tabernacle. So, Bishop, whatever you want to share, uh, there's no time limit. It could be as short as you want. Whatever you want to share concerning. Uh, the ministry of the late evangelist John Lawrence. Well, thank you for this opportunity, Edgar. Uh, John Lawrence was a pivotal character in the life of Bethel Gospel Tabernacle, and he was pivotal in my life as well in many ways. I actually cannot remember when I first encountered him as uh, man to man. Mm -hmm. He uh, just ar arrived on the horizon, mm -hmm. as it were, mm -hmm. and uh, he began to speak for Bethel, and uh, uh, my father utilized his ministry on a number of occasions yes. as it led up to the great revival. And uh, each time John came, he was very effective in communicating the gospel. He was uh, like the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Yes, yes. And he was fearless. Yes. And he dealt with subjects that most people didn't want to deal with. He dealt with life issues. Mm -hmm. He dealt with the importance of being genuinely saved and committed to Christ and not simply uh, being a follower from afar off. Yes. He uh, was the kind of individual who told the truth, and if you didn't like it, it was your problem. You know, he, <laughs> he, 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 how can I say it? He didn't sugar, uh, sugarcoat it. Yes, sir. He told it like he felt it. Mm-hmm. And that made him somewhat unique because most preachers, in order to get a, a next invite, will kind of be polite, mm -hmm. a little soft on you. Mm -hmm. But John came in with a one-two punch right from the very beginning. <laughs> one of the most classic stories about John was when he said to young people, if you want to live uh, for the devil, you want to live for the world, uh, take the pre-hell test. I don't know if you've heard that one before. Yes, I heard it one. But the pre-hell test was one, man, one match, one finger, one minute. So you can take the pressure, take the heat, and go on and live the kind of life you want to live, because hell will be just fine for you. And if you start hollering in that minute, that's exactly what you'll be doing forever if you don't turn your life over to Christ. Mm. And then, of course, he was graphic, because he'd start hollering while he was telling the story. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, make people really give second thought to living a life outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. Another thing with John was that he uh, was... How can I put it? He he was the kind of man, I, I, was, I would really say it was his anointing more than anything else that uh, literally made you examine your, yourself every time he preached. Yes. To see where you stood in God and in, in the word mm -hmm. to make sure that things were right. He made uh, death and uh, judgment so real that you didn't escape the opportunity to examine your life to make sure that your life was hidden with Christ yes. in God. Amen. And if it wasn't, then you had no problem with getting up and going to the altar even more than one time because you wanted to be certain. Yes, you yes. You didn't want to go on a hunch. Yes, yes. And he made it important for you to uh, 
get it right with God and hold on to your commitment to your faith. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that made him very unique. Yes. Uh, he also uh, enjoyed spending time at the altar with people after they were committed to Christ to encourage them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. He taught that if the Holy Spirit is not manifesting himself in your life, then you're living beneath your privilege. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the access to power that God has given through the Holy Spirit to enable us to be overcomers and victors. Mm-hmm. And he encouraged people to come to the altar after he preached and tarry. Tarrying is a word that we use then. We don't use it too much today. I can't remember when last I've seen people at the altar crying out to God for the f- fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yes. It's uh, I, I, I wouldn't say it's a lost art because it's not an art, but it's a lost passion. Yes, yes. It's a yes. lost passion for more of God. Yes. And uh, when John would do it, people would go to the altar and they would be praying and asking God to fill them. And some people would get to the point where they called it stammering lips, where mm-hmm. you just had a repetitive phrase or uh, uh, utterance that would come forth. Mm-hmm. And some people would get up from the altar saying, I'm Phil John, but say, no, get back to the altar. You, you were at the door. You didn't get in yet. <laughs> and people would have to go back to the altar and tarry until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit was manifested, of course, by people speaking in tongues and utterances that were not known to us, but very well known to God. Yes, yes. And during that time period, I can remember some people being literally what they call drunk in the spirit, mm-hmm. but they had to be carried out of church mm-hmm. because uh, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit. For hours, they would speak in tongues at the altar. For hours, not just for a few seconds, a few minutes, but for hours, they were like uh, caught up in, in, in the second, third heaven. Yes, yes. And uh, it was authentic, it was genuine, it was mm-hmm. real. And the evidence of its authenticity, its genuineness, and its reality was in the fact that those people, when they came back to us in the sense of their cognitive uh, abilities, mm-hmm. they were transformed. Yes. They had a new walk, they yes. had a new talk, their language was changed. Mm-hmm. There was a glory that rested upon them. Their countenance was even changed Yes. by the fact that they were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something you don't see much taking place today. Today, it's, a, it's a, lost, uh, a lost challenge in the body of Christ. People uh, don't tarry. They don't wait on God for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And many times when you see people who claim they're filled, if you knew them beforehand and you know them after, there's no change. Hmm. And there, I believe, has to be a change when the Holy Spirit takes over. Amen. When the Holy Spirit takes possession, there must be a change because the things of... Uh, of your former life are dealt with and put under the blood Mm -hmm. and you have a new vision you have a new vantage point from which to observe yes and you are more selfless rather than selfish Mm -hmm. and uh, the things that really matter to you are are things of substance yes you're not so much concerned about having a new outfit to wear to church you just want to get into the presence of god amen and that's really what made the difference for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And many people who were saved and transformed under the John Lawrence revivals were uh, called into the ministry. Yes. And uh, there are churches all across the northeastern corridor of the U.S. in particular, mm-hmm. where people are still to this day transformed by the message that John Lawrence preached. And many of those messages they heard right at Bethel. Yes. Bethel was a launching pad back then. Mm-hmm. Many people came in from different churches, different denominations, different cultures, Mm -hmm. and they experienced Christ at this altar. And when they left, they went back home, changed and transformed 
available to God for his use, and God used them to establish ministries all over. I can remember in particular, there was a, a group of young Jewish kids that came from Queens College, <laughs> and uh, one heard, ran back and told another, two heard, ran back and told two more, and within a matter of months, literally, we had about 75 or 80 young Jewish converts wow. who were coming out and they were hungry for the things of God. So immediately they matriculated into the Bethel Bible Institute. Mm -hmm. And they didn't miss church. If the doors were open and the lights were on, they were here. Wow. And like sponges, they received. And uh, ultimately when the Lord uh, had uh, prepared them for ministry, he thrust them out from Bethel. And they went all the way across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as California. Mm -hmm. They went up north, Wisconsin. And... Uh, Minnesota, they went down south, Texas and Mississippi and Florida and places like that. They literally scattered all over the country and yes. wherever they went, they established messianic uh, ministries. Mm -hmm. So there are countless people who were born into the Jewish faith and Jewish culture who experienced Christ because of that group of young people and they were influenced by John Lawrence and his teaching as well. My so Lord. only eternity will tell where the ministry uh, uh, resided ultimately yes because it was like an explosion when you have an explosion uh, there's a powerful impact that it has on the immediate region but then the residue scatters all yes. over the place yes. yes and the residue of god's ministry through john lawrence literally covered the four corners of the earth <laughs> i was speaking to uh someone from another denomination who told me that 30 percent of the ministers in their organization received their uh, experience with Christ at Bethel under the John Lawrence and under the uh, Bishop Caesar Senior My ministry. God. Wow. And they're pastoring churches even to this very day in the year 2022. Hmm. So uh, the ministry literally uh, encompasses what the Lord said. He said, if you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he'll be with us. Yes. And he was here. He manifested himself. He transformed lives and people. Lives are changed forever because of one man who said yes to God. Mm. I'm often impressed by the fact that it doesn't take a lot for God to use you. It just takes availability. Yes. God's not looking at talent because talent is easy to come by. Mm. Anointing is what costs you. Mm. Because if you're going to be anointed, it will cost you everything that you dreamt or desired for yourself. And you have to be willing to surrender it all and mm. put it at the feet of Jesus so that he can use it for his glory and for his honor. Mm. There are many people who want the anointing, but they don't want to pay the price for the anointing. They're looking for a, a, a discount. Yes. And the discount is uh, partial surrender. Mm -hmm. But there's no partial anointing. You either are anointed or you're not. Amen. And if you don't give God everything, then he can't give you everything. Because then you don't have the capacity to hold on to everything and receive it. Mm -hmm. In order to receive everything that God has in store, there has to be an emptiness of self. Yes. And yes. a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness. The mm -hmm. word of God even goes so far as to say, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. Yes, yes, and yes. And filled doesn't simply mean full. It means filled to overflowing, where there's no capacity to hold anymore. Mm. And the residual that falls from you is like the anointing that falls from the garments of the anointed priests of old. Yes. It will touch those who are around and it's like a, a contagious uh, pandemic. Yes. The next thing you know, everybody around you is infected by the anointing. Mm. And it changes one life. It changes a family. It changes a neighborhood. It changes a community. It ultimately changes a culture and a society. That's the power of the gospel. And John was used mightily by God in that capacity. 
John was basic. Yes. He did not preach to uh, impress people. Yes. He preached for results. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he stripped away the veneer of people who thought that they were somebody, and he made them aware of the fact that they were really sinners that needed salvation by the grace of God. And people heard the gospel and were transformed by its power and by its anointing. So uh, it was something that we don't see doing, uh, heard much today. Today people get off on preaching and they are great preachers. They, they have a, a grading system where they uh, yeah. determine who's a good preacher. Yeah. But good preaching won't change you. It's yes. the anointing that will bring about the change. Amen. Good preaching in many instances is a form of entertainment. And it's evidenced yes. by the fact that they do grade preachers. They, uh, people will, will not come to hear you if you don't have a certain flair, a certain uh, idiosyncrasy that separates you from the crowd. Mm -hmm. But uh, you can hear good preaching all day long and not be changed. Yes. When the anointed word goes forth, it challenges you to change. Yes. And if you stay the same, you know you're stepping outside of the purpose that God has for your life. Mm -hmm. Because the word of God brings conformity to the will of God <laughs> and empowers us to do the will of God so that God is glorified. And much of that was evidenced. If you saw John and you heard him preach, it was evidenced. Oh, if, yes. if, if, if John had one opportunity to preach in the church, he was going to use it for the glory of God. Amen. And not to simply garner the uh, support of the pastor and of the people to come back another time. <laughs> if you ran him out of the church at the end of the message, you got the word. Yes. And you could not stand before God in the judgment and say, I did not know. John made sure you knew every time you heard him preach. Mm. And again, I would say that that's unique. And uh, the one thing that makes it unique is you have to be repetitious. Yes. Because there's only but so many ways you can say something. Yes. But John found every way he could tell you about Jesus. And if you didn't get it, you heard it again and again and again. And it's through repetition that the word of God was driven into our hearts. Yes. That's what produced the change that yes. made us who we are today. Yes, yes. And I wouldn't say it's because of John, but I would say it's because John made himself available to God for his use. Amen. That the word of God that came from his mouth to our ears was the unadulterated, pure word of God. And it challenged us to take a look at ourselves and make sure that as we examined ourselves, we were living the standard that God wanted us to live. Uh, he, he preached holiness. Yes, he, yes, yes. He did not preach compromise or even the importance of taking time. He said, do do what you have to do now. Yes. You yes. don't have the guarantee of the promise of tomorrow. So yes. take advantage of this opportunity right here, right now, today. And, of course, many would really challenge the people at the altar. He'd say, come on, come on, come on, quick, quick, get up here, get up here. <laughs> and he would have people literally running to the altar. That's right. Because they didn't want to miss the hour of their visitation, mm -hmm. the opportunity that they had to encounter God in a real way. And I'm thankful to, to God for that because much of what we became was because of the urgency with which the gospel was preached and the genuineness yes. with which it was expressed. Yes, yes. And the uh, authenticity of the life of the individual who spoke it. Mm -hmm. He wasn't impressed with uh, material things. No. You know, a lot of preachers had to come up in a new Cadillac. He, he came up with a station wagon full of children, <laughs> and he didn't apologize for it. He mm -hmm. uh, would take his summers and travel cross-country, and not to go to Disneyland. He mm -hmm. went cross-country preaching the gospel every night in a different city mm -hmm. as he would travel from coast to coast, 
to make sure that people heard the word of God. And his reputation was spread all across the nation. Yes. I think uh, Bethel was a catalyst that sparked, that caused it to spread uniformly and rapidly across the country. Mm -hmm. But uh, 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 what began there did not end there. Yes. He took it with him everywhere he went and was highly effective at communicating the gospel. And uh, the one thing that was his hallmark was simplicity. Yes. Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. And uh, the key to success in ministry is dying to self, being made alive to the things of God, and Mm -hmm. keeping it basic so that everybody can understand. Amen. John sat at my father's feet as well and received instruction from my father as he taught and as he preached the gospel. Mm -hmm. One of the things my father said is that the gospel should be... uh, plain enough for a child and yet mature enough for a seasoned adult so that no one is left out. Yes. And John was pretty good at doing that as well. Yes, yes. He yes. made it simple so that the young people could hear it. Mm-hmm. And he also made it deep enough so that collegians could hear the gospel and be transformed by his power. Amen. And uh, I'll close with this thought. Uh, when the revival began, the great revival, every week he would come to church on Sunday and he would say, the Lord said, we're going another week. And the church would erupt. Yes. I and remember. celebrate and praise. Yes. And for three months, every single time the doors of Bethel were open, the church was full to the point where we had to put seats down the aisle, and across the back and across the front. Every Sunday, every Sunday, mm-hmm. every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Thursday, every Friday. The only day we didn't have revival is on Saturday. Mm-hmm. We had to rest up for Sunday. <laughs> and then we came back Sunday. We had Sunday morning service, mm-hmm. Sunday night. And in the Sunday night service, he would say, we're going another week. We're going another week. And it, it seemed as if the people could, could not become weary. Yeah. In spite of the challenges it placed upon our schedules in terms of academics, in terms of occupation, mm-hmm. for the uh, adults that had to go work, mm-hmm. every, every night they had to be at Bethel. Amen. And we were there. And if you missed it, you didn't know what you were going to miss. It, oh, boy. it was like uh, uh, just recently, uh, the, the Yankee that was uh, uh, trying to beat the uh, Aaron record, Judge. Yeah, Judge. Yeah. Uh, people flew all over the country to the games because they wanted to see history made when he hit that home run that surpassed uh, the record. Yes. Well, it was like that in church. People didn't want to miss Bethel because they didn't know what was going to happen. And they wanted to be there when it did happen. Yes. So they yes. came out every yes. night hungry yes. and thirsty. Yes. And when it was time to pray, the altars were so full that uh, it couldn't hold any more people. Yes. The pulpit area was packed. It was amazing. The altar was packed. Amazing. And then people turned around in their seats in the pews and they prayed sometimes till 10, 11 o'clock midnight. They were at the altar praying, seeking the face of God, crying out for mercy and crying out for power. And anointing and grace. Yes. It was a time that was unparalleled Amen. in uh, the life of many people. We've never seen anything like it. And since then, we haven't seen it happen again to that extent. This is true. It's as if we had our own Azusa Street. That's right. You know? That's right. In, in those three months, we had what I would say was equivalent to the Azusa Street movement that took place in the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And uh, this revival touched people from all faiths, all denominations, all cultures. Yes, it All did. colors. Yes. Every creed was there. Yes. And people came out seeking God. And as a result, churches were changed everywhere. Incredible. Everywhere. Everywhere churches were changed. And it left an imprint on the 
metropolitan scene in New York that has been unrivaled from then to this very day. Amen. We've not seen a move quite like that. And uh, I was blessed, we were blessed to be a part of it. Yes, we were. And we were honored that God would choose Bethel as the catalyst mm -hmm. that would cause it, and John Lawrence as the voice that spoke, crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord yes. to do what only God can do, which is bring transformation to the lives of those who yes. put their trust and their confidence in Him. Yes, yes. And thank you for this opportunity and for this occasion. Well, I am blessed and honored to have you uh, give us this wonderful commentary and testimony the goodness of God through the life of John Lawrence. So we thank you once again, Bishop Caesar, for all of you that what you did for us today. And God bless you and the ministry of Bethel Gospel Tabernacle.